Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys, and this is that those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes, different lives, different jobs, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and the fun that comes with. We're your hosts. I am P.S. McKay, and tonight I will also be playing the part of DT Catman. Uh, you wish. <laughs> I'm DT Catman, the one and only. Yeah, the that's unforgettable. true. You are an original. I'd like to think so. <laughs> so anyway how are things going dt not bad like like we talked a little offline i'm i'm trying to recruit some some people to to check out our glorious podcast yes and while while you have that on the subject i do want to remind everyone at the top of the show we do have a twitter at those sci-fi guys so if you want to talk to us, just reach out and, you know, say what your thoughts are. You have suggestions for show topics. Let us know. Yep. We welcome constructive criticism. We're definitely always looking to improve. Um, you know, uh, I've been enjoying this. So <laughs> it's, it's uh, something we'd, we'd like to continue as long as, you know, well, honestly, we'll keep streaming out into space if nobody else wants it because we enjoy it. <laughs> Let's just keep it's true. Basically, <laughs> I think that's what we did for like the first two, three months. <laughs> Talking into the void. <laughs> oh yeah. So um yeah, no, a uh, good job on the recruiting thing. I'm terrible at recruiting, honestly. For uh for entwined. My partner was uh, Elliot. He was the one that did all the recruiting. Merchandising. That's what I know. Got to do merchandising. To quote actually, Gilder. actually, you know what we did? We put together T-shirts with our podcast name on it and our website. What we could probably do <sighs> is merchandise some T-shirts that we wear. We don't necessarily sell, but we can walk around with that advertising on on the front of us. Wouldn't be bad. Wouldn't be bad. I mean, it's just mobile advertising, right? Oh, I'm a big fan of the passive advertising. I think you recall I spent some time doing some military recruiting myself. <laughs> That's true. Oh, God. That's got to be a high-pressure uh, uh, scenario, isn't it? Nah, not in <laughs> 2008 during the surge. <laughs> Trying to recruit in the liberal Northeast? Nah. Not a problem at all. <laughs> Not a piece of cake. They, you had to kick them out, really. But... <laughs> Brush it like Quint. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> During the surge. What was that? The Jesus approved. The Jesus approved. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, DT. Well, I think, you know, we've spent the last two two episodes have gone off the rails. Both of them my fault. Definitely your fault. Um, I'm DT Cavman, and I do not approve this unless I do it. <laughs> Honestly. I'm, I'm the unpredictable one. I, I'm pretty sure you broke out into hives the last time with, with your anger. <laughs> <laughs> the direction we went last time. 
Let this be a message to you, hide the salami. We will not play your dangerous game. Hide the salami. What did you... What it, the... it was a Saturday Night Live skit. It was relatively inappropriate, but... Was I just sexually harassed? No, it was... <laughs> it, was a, it was a skit from Saturday Night Live. I think it was the cold opening. And Robert De Niro is the host, and he's reading off list of reported terrorist names. This is like 2003, oh, whatever. Geez. And they're all... <laughs> they're all online names. Well, they're all like... Uh, uh, well, one, they're probably culturally insensitive, to be honest with you. Uh, it was 19 years ago. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> New York fresh after 9-11. It was, a, and they, it was like some of the Homeland Security call-in line. The guy's giving you a briefing of leading, <laughs> about all these leading names. He's like, and surprisingly, we've received most of these. Uh, you know, the, the most of them have come from high school and college students. And they're all... <laughs> They're all spoof names like Hide the Salami and yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny, but it's probably in culturally insensitive and yeah, I still <laughs> laugh my ass off. <laughs> well, you can still go back and laugh privately at what they said because they still have them all every single skit on the SNL app. Yeah, you can go on YouTube to there. That's actually been a good thing. When you want to look up an old sketch, you can just go up and now you don't have to find like the bootleg cowbell sketch. They, they, they've got the, <laughs> yeah. the official one. Try or the or the New England couple played by Jimmy Fallon and Rachel Dratch. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the Boston teens. The Boston uh, teens. Who then became Boston parents in 2012. Remember that? Yeah, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I do remember the Boston teens, especially the episode where Noma cameos. Noma. Yeah, no, they brought they brought them back in 2012 as parents doing college tours with their daughter who was going who was who was looking at colleges in high school. And uh they updated it. I don't know. Rachel Dratch is always a little strange to me. I don't, I don't know. She just, I mean, I watched That's, her on 30 Rock on Saturday Night Live. She just had some really out there characters. But uh, as someone who comes from the theater world, that's I, normal. Oh, I'm, I'm well aware. <laughs> as we discussed last week. Or In last fact, time. I was a normal. So <laughs> no one's ever accused you of being normal, Mac. No, but uh yeah, no. My kid proudly, you know, says, "Yeah, and I'm weird." <laughs> she met she met a friend of mine's kid and they hit it off like gangbusters. I like her. She's like me. She's weird. <laughs> Yeah, the times certainly have changed for that, haven't they? Oh, we got him. Oh. We're having technical we had, difficulties with the guy who's actually more technologically proficient. We had a mic malfunction. Uh, anyway, we're back. How's everyone I never doing? Left. <laughs> 
So, all right, let's jump right into it. Uh, so this is a topic that has been long in the baking oven. Uh, near and dear to DT's heart. DT, why don't you take us in as you swig that beer? Sorry, that was poor timing, too. No, it was perfect timing. There's no better way to start off this discussion without <laughs> having a nice cold brew. Because I'm not a brown liquor guy. Uh, I'm not drinking tonight. Uh, well... <laughs> That's your loss. <laughs> anyway, one of the things that I've always found interesting is in many, you'll notice in many of these sci fi uh, franchises we discussed, there's a very heavy military perspective to it. You know, Starfleet, the Rebel Alliance, the Galactic Empire, you know, the Colonial Fleet, the Cylon Fleet, the Oh, I don't know. Dupe from Futurama. Dupe? The D- Democratic Order of Planets. Oh, my God. <laughs> With Zap Brannigan and Kiff on board the Nimbus. Oh, was that when the uh, the uh, the aliens from Omicron Percy I-8 started to invade? Well, they always lose. We... Humanity always loses because they put Zap Brannigan in charge well, of the yeah. military. <laughs> so, and we've discussed others like Space Above and Beyond. We've talked about Firefly, Babylon 5. So you can see there's a bit of a military, militaristic bent on it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, well, it even just as feels like benevolent it's... as Starfleet supposedly is. They blow up a lot of shit. Yeah, they do. They have the yeah. ability to destroy entire planets, actually. <laughs> Just to get one Maquis bastard. Just to get one Maquis bastard. So, obviously, you've heard us talk in previous episodes about things. We did, I think, an entire episode about why I love the Makos from Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, you think we did a whole episode? It was a whole episode. We, Yeah. And of <laughs> course. You've also heard my criticisms of, you know, various science fiction militaries as well. Because, obviously, it's for entertainment. And, you know, I, I've given Starfleet a pretty uh, hard time over the years. So... As much as I love Star Trek, it, it is what it is. But I figured today we should talk about some of the most fascinating militaries, fleets, and, you know, defensive organizations in science fiction. Yes. Now, here's the thing. We're comparing apples and oranges in a sense, too. In some ways, we're going to be comparing apples with uh, suspension bridges, dude. That's how this, this is. <laughs> this is true. So how do we want to compare them is my question. Well, you and I have never really done any truly um, organized ranking structures. So I think right now we should really I think we can talk just about some of these and then we can just give some pros and cons to them. How's that sound? Okay. 
Yeah, and, yeah, I could go with that. And because you are our Stargate, or excuse me, Stargate resident expert, why don't you lead us off with a little bit about the SG units? Ooh. Fully knowing that they originally grew out of the United States Air Force, which put them on my radar for bullshit from day one. <laughs> Explain that real quick. Just real quick. starters, one, no disrespect to the United States Air Force. I salute you all. As a, as a combat soldier, air support and air superiority is a big deal in helping me do what I'm supposed to do. That being said... They do a lot of gun shooting for the Air Force. They did. <laughs> okay. They not have at least 25 at teams. Least, not a lot of flying, at least at first. Okay. No. A, a few Army Rangers, maybe some Navy SEALs, some Force Recon Marines should have been on this uh, particular team. That's all I'm saying. The only reason why it was in uh, Air Force's jurisdiction, because it was at NORAD. <laughs> just anyway okay in right. area 51 which is under they, they, control uh, of you know bob i don't know <laughs> look like i said no knock on the u.s air force friends family serve love it they're very good at what they do that being said that was one thing though that just didn't Seem right. And in fact, I was today, as I was going back and listening to a few of our previous episodes while driving um, to get a vibe of what I'd already talked about, about some of these other ones, when I hit on our space above and beyond, I too had also criticized the space marines for acting like dirt marines. <laughs> too much. There's a difference between being shot down and then having to fight, you know, yep, or even behind doing, enemy lines. And a, a quick uh, aerial extraction. But you're not sending a whole uh, a squad of five lieutenants out there to go, you know, attack a, an infantry or a dug-in position. It's just not Wait what we do. Isn't that what, isn't that what we breed our officers for? No? Uh, yeah, usually one and then a bunch of other dudes. So, so, so you're telling me Hollywood's full of a bunch of bullshit? No, <laughs> they get all of it right all the time. All of it right all the time. All right, well, let's delve but into not not to fully shit on it because one, MacGyver. Okay, just saying, MacGyver, who was taking the place of Kurt Russell, which that's a pretty badass character. Well, <laughs> straight up badasses. So. <laughs> okay well i'm fresh off of finishing season nine of stargate sg1 so there was a big evolution in this show so quick talking points yeah um my surprise i know so uh, basically the gould um aliens have big ass pyramid like motherships very similar to what you saw in the movie maybe a little bit more ornate but the, that's basically their fleet. Their fleet are, you know, it's a bunch of motherships, some quick attack cargo vehicles that double as, uh, you know, attack attack bombers and whatnot. And then you got the 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 fighters, 
you know, the, the one yeah. or two man fighters that they that they send in and everything. And that's that's it for the fleet. And so what the U.S. Uh, did was they emulated what the Gould were. So they made their own motherships. So they made the, the, the Prometheus. They made the Odyssey. They made the Daedalus. They eventually made the Hammond, um, which was supposed to be the Phoenix, but they named it after General Hammond, the actor who actually died, Don S. Davis. So they, mm-hmm. they rewrote it. They rewrote the character dying and named it in honor of him. So, Like the Eisenberg class in Discovery. Yes, yes, exactly. I forgot about that. I missed. Did I yeah. miss that? No, that came out sometime this year. I don't know how oh, much okay. you caught up. They also had the USS Nog, but oh, yep, that makes no sense. The USS Nog? Why would it make yeah. not make sense in the thirty-first century? Mm, season eight of Deep Space Nine, he was killed right away. Still was the first Ferengi <laughs> in Starfleet. He was a captain, right? Uh, well, supposedly, yeah. Anyway, we're we're sorry. Look who's right. This guy. I, I, I'm not saying you're not. I'm just <laughs> I'm not I can't speak for it. So uh Damn. so the, the US emulated the gold, so they had these four motherships. The Prometheus eventually was the first to be destroyed by the Ori in season nine. We had uh, and we had our own fighters, huh? We we flew pyramids. No, we they were our Earth style ships. So they looked, the Prometheus was a prototype. It had kind of like a con tower and then it had two uh, fighter bays on each side. And, you know, it it was like a couple of the Earth ships uh, from Babylon 5, the way you're describing them. You're not wrong, but it's using like alien uh, tech for for, uh, hyperdrives and uh, for shielding technology that we got from the Asgard, which are the alien greys. Um, so th- that was our fleet. We had F-303s, which were, uh, our version of the fighters that the Gould had that, so, but they were definitely a more angular and everything. Um, and that's all Earth had at that point. They did primarily their transport through the Stargate, and then they filled in the gaps using the starships that they built. Um... So Earth was still they used they 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 didn't pirate a lot. They were given a lot of technology to help, you know, compete. Reverse but they were still, engineering. No, no, no. They were given technology. Yeah, but you all we all you also admitted that they took some stuff. Oh, they did, yeah. And they tried so, it, but reverse engineering plus the reverse engineering didn't work out as fast as they wanted, so eventually oh, <laughs> eventually the Asgard the Asgard gifted them technology because the earth proof were were like the pack leads well no because earth had helped out the asgard a whole lot because of our limited thinking we thought differently than they could uh in fighting these mechanical entities called the replicators which were like bugs little lego little lego blocks that built themselves up into bugs and stuff yeah you're missing out, but you're not going to be able to tolerate it because you can't you can't handle the air force on the ground. 
So, <laughs> would you say that one more time? The Air Force on the ground. Yeah, the Air Force on the ground. <laughs> it's almost as redundant as Army pilot. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Hey, at least there's a history of the Army in the air. The history is the Air Force grew out of the Army Air Corps. I know. <laughs> you could can, can grandfather that shit in, but you can't. The Army is it. the grandfather. Yeah. The Space Force. Right. Technically, you're absolutely correct. Um. So anyway, in the grand scheme of things, Earth was had a number of good allies and everything, but they were horribly outnumbered, and they relied mostly on Earth being pretty much off the radar and keeping that location secret for most of the show. Well, that makes a good amount of sense. How many shows have and movies have you seen where they strike from hidden bases and Exo Squad, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what? I was wrong. Hold on. I got to fix this. They were hiding at the beginning of the show, but then at the end of season one, um, Apophis finds out that the Tauri are, you know, creating trouble. So he sends a mothership to go destroy the planet and invade. Ultimately, Earth is able to set up uh, uh, an ally ship with uh, the Asgard to protect them against Gould uh, incursion through the treaties that they set up previously. So we became an Asgard protectorate, but the Asgard secretly didn't have enough resources to actually protect us. It was a big bluff for the majority of the show. So. Anyway, it's fighters and a few motherships. That's what that was. They used phasers. They had shielding. They could go to uh, to to hyperspace and everything. So it was a nice amalgamation of current technology and new technology. It's really neat. I liked it a lot. Uh, again, Air Force ground pounders, but that's fine. Well, I think this is a nice segue into uh, Earth Force and the various fleets and militaries of Babylon 5. Yeah. Okay, uh, so I know you're going to go into this and everything. I know enough about Babylon 5 to ask questions. Um, we all know that that Earth basically built their ships in a more, not realistic, but a more near future version of what Right. Engineers would design long-term spaceships to look like. The earlier ships had very limited artificial gravity yep. uh, or none in smaller ships where, you know, they'd be strapped in. If you remember some of these scenes from the early, uh, from the beginning of, uh, in the beginning, mm-hmm. the, the TV movie where they show Earth Force, uh, whatever a dozen years prior to Babylon 5. So then, because they got jump gate technology from the Centauri. Yeah. Didn't, did they buy it? I think they established trade. Okay. Something like that. And then Earth Force 
kind of starts. Your microphone to build up. keeps hitting your zipper, by the way. It, it's clicking and clacking. Better? Much better. My apologies for the technical difficulties. <laughs> Sorry. I'm yeah, using I, I, like 30 year old technology. Anyway, the uh, Earth Force. You know, they, they kind of got a little big for their britches. They they earned a lot of gratitude from the non-aligned worlds when Earth Force entered a war against the Dilgar. Mm-hmm. Um, a kind of oppressive, douchey, militaristic race that liked to experiment on people and eventually died out as a result of the war. But then we get big for our britches and the Centauri says, don't go looking for the Minbari. They're like, well, we handled the the Dilgar, you know. So we fly off, and because of a nice cultural misunderstanding where the Minbari approach with their weapon ports open to show respect, the humans <laughs> open fire and kill the Minbari leader and start the Earth-Minbari war. And literally a- after that, there's only one other quote-unquote victory in the entire war for the humans as they got their ass kicked and religious genocide taking over on behalf of mm-hmm. the enraged Mimbari. Meanwhile, the Narn and Centauri have been fighting each other for hundreds of years. When the Centauri showed up on Narn and turned them into a slave race, and then the Narn resistance fights back, they take a hold of Centauri technology, spin it around, and start building their own fleet. So during the course of Babylon 5, you have major races with militaries consistently duking each out with each other or having border skirmishes. You have Earth Force, which by the end of Babylon 5 is a much stronger force. Uh, they do use rotating ship parts to generate gravity mm-hmm. makes them a little less efficient than some of the other uh, races. But it's um, that's where we're talking about with some of the practicality. They did have Earth Force, the, the fleet. They have what they call their, their nickname is the Ground Pounders, which is essentially their infantry and their, their, their uh, army, which is their determined by a kind of an olive drab uniform, whereas the uh, space fleet of Earth Force is blue. So you really Mm -hmm. just have two branches. And uh, Earth Force is, they basically build Babylon 5. And for a while, they seem like the kind of good guys. And of course, Babylon 5 generally is. But then the Earth Civil War breaks out, and it gets kind of ugly. You have the Minbari, who are one of the older races left in the galaxy. Um, so they're relatively unchallenged by even the aggressive Centauri, which have ships that, in some like their smaller ships, look like um, well. They kind of look like claws a little. They've got like an arching arm. 
forward arch. Yeah, they on, do. On top. It took me a moment to get the scan my data banks. <laughs> the, the Narn ships are kind of flat and angular with like two prongs in the front. Earth ships are a little more boxy. And Barre ships kind of look like angry butterflies or a tropical poisonous fish. Then you have the Vorlon ships, the, the two old races, the uh, the Vorlons and the Shadows, which basically are the two sides of the great existential conflict of Babylon 5. And as we've discussed, the Shadows look a lot like spiders. They're pitch black, they kind of ripple, they scream, they fire these basically unstoppable uh, energy beams that cut through anything. The Vorlons look like flying squid. Yeah. They're almost like tentacles. Aren't out they moving front. parts? Yeah, these were all, they all look, you know, the Vorlons and the shadows are all look like they're, they think they were all powered in some ways by people. What do you mean by people? Well, the Vorlons created telepaths to power their ships, and the shadows hijacked that technology. Okay, I'm thinking like Matrix style. They <laughs> they plug they plug bodies into into a little capacitors. column A, a little column B. I think. Yeah, uh, I was thinking something more sinister and horrible. And then, so. <laughs> as shit starts going sideways, real bad in the universe. You get the um, the Rangers, which are the secret protectors of the peace in the galaxy, and they've become they're an alliance of human and Minbari who were determined to fight the shadows, and they're kind of like non-force using Jedi, um, mm -hmm. you know, crossed with you know like Lone Ranger type folks and and such. They're kind of like. Uh, the Grey Company and Lord of the Rings, independent and designed to fight evil. And they fly these sleek ships called the White Stars, which look a lot like, well, one guy said they look like plucked chickens, and you can't hear that. But they do have <laughs> kind of like this sleek bird look to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, then went... All these things kind of come to a close at the towards the end of the series. They formed the, Gala the Interstellar Alliance, which the Narn, the Minbari, Earth, and for a time the Centauri, as well as other races, joined together in a joint alliance. And then later they build the Excalibur from Crusade, which looks like almost in some ways looks almost like a giant X-wing only instead of four uh, prongs. They have three. Right. The long main hull of the ship that fires the, the three points can fire a main gun where all that energy goes into the primary hull and blasts out the nose, a huge energy beam. So... And that's a mixture of human and Bari, Vorlon, and other types of technologies. Like you said, some of the younger races either being given or taking 
technology from the older ones. And of course, they all have their various little fighters. The Star Fighters are for Earth Force or Star Furies, and they're pretty cool looking. They kind of look a little bit like an X-Wing with the four engines mm-hmm. off, but no nose and body. It's just like a little crew compartment right on top of the yeah. four-pronged engines. Which, uh, I liked that design. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Obviously, they they traveled through hyperspace, which is essentially they generate a hole, like a, an opening into hyperspace, and they go into this sub-level of space that enables them to travel across the stars. They almost look like you're being sucked, you know, you're like, going through the jump gate almost like you're going through a portal into a interstellar subway (laughs) (laughs) that's true but those are generally the fleets and and militaries of babylon 5 i will say that the the ground pounders of babylon 5 you know they they look kind of like green well they're pretty good they're ground troops. They go and kick in doors. And the Rangers, they carry these uh, fighting pikes, uh, which expand kind of like lightsabers, only they're just metal that expand. They oh, that's sweet. Them. Yeah. So it was, uh, they had some interesting militaries. Obviously, I'm, I'm a little biased towards Earth, but, you know, I, uh, well, I definitely enjoyed the, uh, the various other ships and such. Well, uh, you know, the bias towards Earth, fine. I guess the question is, how how is Earth able to compete still uh, when, I mean, they are they are clearly outclassed by the, the, the Centauri and stuff. I, I And yes, I get it. The ba- Babylon 5 as beginning. an individual, as an independent state at that point, basically became not a puppet, but an extension of the of the Mbari, uh, the, the the or was it a, a section of the Gray Council? For a time, yeah, Delenn, uh, but joined with Sheridan, so humans and Mbari really coming together. And then trying to get the other races to rally around to fight the great evils. Um, and after a time, because under the oppressive uh, Earth regime that eventually led to the Earth Civil War, they were making deals with shadow uh, operatives to upgrade fleets. And then Earth, Earth Force. Was. Yes. Yeah. But Earth Force, you know... When they kind of rebounded and started working with everybody else, that was part of the signing of the Interstellar Alliance was an exchange of um, technology and trade. And that's how Earth got the um, the ability to uh, use artificial gravity without the rotations, mm. which is what you see them lead to building things like the Excalibur later. Right. But, you know, Earth was kind of on par with some of the lesser races, and every time they 
had some success. They'd improve, they'd build, but they still couldn't go toe-to-toe, at least with the Minbari. They started to become on online with the Narn and the Centauri after a while. But, you know, pretty fun and fascinating. I always enjoyed B5, so... Well, I did, I did, I did like how they showed the different, the different technological levels, mm-hmm. and they showed a pretty realistic, I, a pretty realistic representation of where Earth would be, what two hundred fifty years in the future? Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe not as far out as they were, but technologically speaking, it felt. Well, appropriate. we kind of moved out faster in a lot of these franchises after coming in touch with alien races. In humanity, even though in Enterprise showing the Vulcans trying to keep keep the, basically like the little leash that you would have on like your kid, <laughs> their little, so they wouldn't run off into traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of what the Vulcans seemed like, but still we were getting we were growing because of our trade in our international interstellar trade with the Vulcans. Same thing happened when earth kind of opened up trade with the Centauri and others and started gaining technology and, and such. So it's basically the same thing you talked about with Stargate. Well, it's funny because in Babylon 5, you don't see a prime directive like in Star Trek. And in Stargate, Earth basically was the opposite. The the Air Force was acting in the opposite of the prime directive where they were going to different worlds, telling these people, your gods are your gods are false. And here are some guns to fight them. And most of these human settlements were more primitive than Earth. Some of them were more advanced than Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the workaround of that idea of instead of it being immoral to to stop the uh, to to interfere with these people's development is they were already interfered with and seeded. They were these people were taken from Earth centuries ago, and these are hostile gods that are not gods. Right. So, you know, their development was... But it's it's a funny Another dichotomy. Another tried and true uh, sci-fi trope. What? The, the prime the directive hu- or no, no, no prime the, directive? The humans taken from their home and put somewhere else. I can name yeah. probably three or four different Star Trek episodes <laughs> that revolve around that. My favorite, my favorite theory is that humans are were uh, planted here from aliens, and I'm like, uh, we share ninety nine percent of our genome with pretty much every other species of, of fauna on Earth. So, which, which Battlestar <laughs> did the humans emigrated from other places, and yes. then Star Trek did the Oh, here's the humanoid race sharing their DNA <laughs> and their physical design with the galaxy. Yeah, they seeded. It was a panspermia, basically. That that's a real thing. So dirty. Well, it is. That's a real scientific thing. Panspermia. That life didn't originate on a specific planet, but it was seeded from like a comet 
or in the case of Star Trek, planted by an ancient race. So, oh, Prometheus, the the, the movie Prometheus, the alien um, engineers. Yeah, the engineers, the alien prequel. They showed that. They did panspermia that way. And they also had space marines. Not at the time of the panspermia, but yes, later. So, <laughs> um, well, let's bring us right into. Shoot, I already. Oh, Battlestar Galactica. Yes. And yet another more realistic and gritty take on the military. They have their colonial military, the humans, which is basically made up of the colonial fleet and the colonial marines. So basically it's one big force because the marines fall under uh it falls under the fleet kind of like the the marines and the navy right but they also have their fighters the vipers the and vipers. they got their um what what's the other one called the the they're not jumpers they're um yeah they are something like that they i mean they 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 ca- they carry crew they're um, like their or, space or personnel that's what they are they're what they're like their space helicopters yeah, basically. Uh, they have those. They don't, we don't see any other versions of spaceships, though. It's usually, it seems to be the theme that we see one, maybe two versions of smaller uh, smaller craft vehicles, fighter versions, and then maybe like a transport. Yeah. Uh, that can fight, too, by the way. Uh, runabout. <laughs> the runabout. Well, but, yeah, I mean... In our own military, we have attack helicopters, we have attack fighter jets, and then we have such wonderful things as the C one the AC one thirty Spectre gunship, which is a C one thirty transport plane that has uh-huh. that has a, a an artillery piece on one side and machine and uh, Gatling guns on the other. <laughs> yep. <laughs> then there's also you know your Black Hawk helicopters, which in Chinooks which transport things, which are a bit more like transports, oh. you might have, or medevacs, and then you might have some, you know, the occasional uh, weapons pods on your uh, Blackhawks, but you don't need them all the time because you have the Apache gunship. <laughs> now, now, uh, detail for the audience, not me. But detail for the audience, what is the specialty of the Apache gunship? To, not me, by it, the way. It is for our destroy, audience that may not be familiar. It is to destroy or provide close air support to ground troops, and it's anti-armor, anti-emplacement defense. Basically, it's a flying tank killer. Really. <laughs> and it's got the width of, what, two and a half feet? The width of what of its armor? The body, the width of the body is like two and a half. I mean, it's not that, but it's no, it's a narrow. Of, you're thinking of the Cobra, which is its predecessor, which was very uh, narrow, and the okay. Marines continued to use them for years, even after the Army phased them out, because they could put them on their um, amphibious assault craft, and then a Marine Expeditionary Unit can launch like used to be able to launch some of these small attack helicopters, as well as some. Um, you know, they had some small armor 
and then you could drop a bunch of Marines with a with a small amount of support firepower in a certain uh, area. Those are the ways we kick in the door. I'm I'm looking at the Apache now. That is correct. You're right. And then was the the Cobra attack helicopter? I got to look at that because that that's a these are these are just things of beauty. I I admire I admire combat helicopters. Well, I like them too when they're uh, shooting at the bad guys for me. Uh, <laughs> you have to do something very bad or messed up in order to be on the receiving end of that. Yes. And I love them dearly. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So the Colonial Marines, right? The Colonial the Colonial fleet from Battlestar. So you mm-hmm. have their their Battle Stars. The Cylons have their versions called Base Stars. Our battle stars kind of look like, I don't know, long, tubular. Aircraft phallic, carriers. phallic looking aircraft carriers. Yeah, I mean, they're a mix between an aircraft carrier and a, and a, a battleship, basically. Yeah, they look kind of like submarines without a conning tower um, with, I guess, the engines on the side or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or were those the flight decks? Those might have been the flight decks where they. Those are the flight in. decks on the side. The yeah. engines were on the back in a right. in a, yeah. And they did jumps. They didn't like fly. There wasn't much know. maneuvering. There no. was, there was there was some yeah. sublight maneuvering, but they it was they they didn't fly. Yeah. So. And I liked that too. That was uh, that was a nice little. Uh, yeah. Change of pace because it showed a limitation as to what their. This, this, I mean, this very advanced machineware could do. Yeah. Um, uh, so it showed a humanity towards it. You know what I mean? Does well, that make yeah. sense? It, it showed, like we said, some real realism, some grittier, like less fantastical, I guess, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, you have the Cylons who, you know, in the earlier, you know, in the first Cylon Rebellion... They look like the big clunky what they what they call them toasters. Yeah, the toasters. And they were big, you know, automaton robots that, you know, would be that's and then they kind of developed their own ships and everything. They the, called them centurions. Yeah, and the centurions from the from the first war and slash the first show actually piloted their own ships they actually got right. into their own ships as opposed to when uh, the colonies fell the the fighters were just their own cylons like they were basically drones right so while we had the vipers where your pilots get in they had i i would say semi-sentient um fighter craft which Looked like this angry red Cylon face with pincers in front of them. They were pretty, pretty gnarly looking. Pretty mess- menacing, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that was they were pretty cool. The base stars kind of looked like a two starfish on top. I loved the base stars. It showed yeah. a grandiosity of um, elegance and and superiority. Yeah, and of course, let's not forget the skin jobs. The Cylons that are made to look and act just like humans. I never forget a skin job. 
Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the Colonial Fleet had in, of course, because Battlestar Galactica and then Pegasus were the only survivors. So there was a very small amount of Colonial Marines, basically like old-fashioned Marines on board a ship that would, you know, like go over and boarding parties, but they were a, only a small portion of the fleet. Um, and that was basically it. I mean, it was pretty bare bones. I mean, they tried, they invented a, a stealth ship that looked like a really um, sophisticated uh, Viper with some, I don't know, like uh, energy reflecting or radar reflecting, uh, you know, dark panel on it. And so they, you know, there it was, it was neat. I enjoyed them. Um, they really kind of made it almost like broadsides, like old naval battles, but also was very uh, like submarine, old submarine movies. Mm-hmm. Because it was like little games of cat and mouse through the stars until you could jump yeah. again. No view screens. No view screens. Just using what they called their radar, which was they called greatest. So I can't believe I remembered that. Oh, it was a good show, man. It was a really that good was, show. It was a really good show, and they they had new, different words for things, and I liked that. Yeah. And there are no uh, four cornered paper no it was eight cornered yeah <laughs> so, which felt like a massive waste to me like i just... know it was it was just funny <laughs> i but mean anyway, four corners is much more efficient <laughs> it is and when you think about it it's more paper yes but, but anyway, not <laughs> but anyway uh you know the colonial fleet was you know there was definitely a more it was it was a military organization. It wasn't like Starfleet. They weren't exploring. They were looking no. well, they were looking for a place they were retreating basically the entire time, trying to save the human race. Basically, Battlestar Galactica and its fighters were really their whole mission was to protect the civilian fleet. But you Yeah, spent, there was no you spent, there was no exploration. No. Uh, I'm talking about before the fall. Like, uh, it was literally that fleet was there to protect the colonies yeah, and and the civilian fleets. There was And there was no exploration at all. Like, they just seemed content being where they were in this general malaise. Yeah, because there was, like, each tribe was on each, was on 12 planets, and they were all a little different, and I'm sure probably previously they had kind of beefed with each other and now they're not. And then they tried to create the Cylons to make their lives better. And then they revolted and then there was a big war and humans won and the Cylons retreated. And then they just planned their revenge for like 20 years and came back and beat the fuck out of the humans. <laughs> well, there's a there's a there's an advantage to being a machine versus a meat bag. I know. But they had a pretty good military. Fastly understaffed, underarmed, everything. Mm-hmm. But they were a pretty good military. Who else should we dive into, my friend? Well, there's got to be one more before we do the big two. You want to dive into Exofleet, then? 
See, okay, that'll be an interesting uh, exploration because, all right, so the Exo Fleet, I, I, I can, I started rewatching Exo Squad, so I can only really recall like the Earth stuff. Um, we didn't really get in. I, I didn't get to see much of the uh, Neo Sapien stuff again. So that's distant memory. Well, basically, but, you get a little bit of a Starfleet plus a little bit of this mecha, you know, battle armor, the Exos. Yeah, there's just no, there's no the fighter, pi- there's no fighter jets. I mean, there, there are, are, but you also have the, the fighter jets being accompanied by people in these mech suits. Right. But there's more mech suits than they are fighters. Yeah. <laughs> and and they're you, out doing space battles. And this. then you have their jump troops, which dudes are basically dropped in these little Porter Johns. And they get out and they have little mini E-frames that are, you know, they're like mm-hmm. really little chunks of armor all over them with some some weapons and shit. Oh, um, something and, that you bet DARPA is pretty far along on right now. Well, right. You know, there's there's been discussions of, you know, and they've modeled some basically exoskeletons and, and enhancement frames for military use. And they're trying. And but uh, then you also have the exo, uh, the the carriers, which are basically part battleship, part carrier. where they got main guns and they've got hangars where they fly in and out of. The pirates have developed cloaking technology. They're, those are human rebels who generations ago revolted against Earth and were driven out to the outer planets. Then you had the Neo-Sapiens, which were created as, of course, as humans do, a clone slave race. Way to go, humans. Were they a slave race? They were, because they were bred to help... Um help uh uh colonize terraform mars mars and venus and but the rebellion starts on mars they revolt but they were put down when the humans developed e-frames and then for 50 years the neo sapiens sit and plot their revenge and then they build this ridiculous starfleet of more e-frames more everything it was just more and right it was really just more and purple (laughs) <laughs> but I did like the idea. I think that was the first example of me seeing, aside from the big two or the bit, the other one of the big two. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of fighter jets being used in conjunction with other other various types of ships and stuff. Right. Well, in battle, that's generally what we do. We try to do. Um, the uh, combat in depth. Mm-hmm. Explain that, because I think I know what you're talking about, but that means something much more than me just inferring it. Land, sea, air, space now, mm-hmm. through the use of satellites and uh, jamming technology and whatnot. You you have your uh, your electronic warfare. But so you're talking about, you know, three-dimensional warfare, you know, and the History Channel used to run a special called Battle 360, and they were originally done about uh, naval battles in World War II. And by 360, they mean the land, sometimes, 
when if there was amphibious landings, but it was usually the surface vessels, the submarines, and then the you know the uh, the pl- the uh, fighters and such. So right. You have the the three dimensions, so to speak. Like, you know your surface, your aviation, and your subsurface. And they would do that in computer animation. That was all it. So that's kind of uh, where you get to see that. Like you have the big battleships, you have the fighters, you have the troops, and that's what mm-hmm. you're starting to see a little bit more of here and there. Even Star Trek went to that a little at times. But... They finally got the budget for it because they they were able to they were able to. Uh, uh, hoard all their other stuff that was created through the movies and uh whatnot so (laughs) yeah so you uh but that's what the exo fleet had too right and then the neo sapiens had basically the same thing it was right mirrored right they're just the neo sapiens were bigger stronger etc until they devised what's that should be noted, no faster than light travel. No, you're right, but they obviously move fast enough to move across between planets in hours instead of months. Did it take hours? I thought it took a few weeks. Like, at least to get from Saturn. The outer planets to the inner planets? Maybe. Yeah. But, you know, you had... I don't know if it was weeks, maybe it was more like days, but it was... Definitely fast enough that you're not spending an entire year going between Earth and Mars. Right. So. Right. Which and I, and I, of course they would have your then you'd have your Game of Thrones type late season travel where all of a sudden <laughs> oh well we can just jump to Earth from here. It's like yeah. well, did the last episode it take you like three days to get. From- <laughs> You know, it took three uh, weeks to get from King's Landing to the wall, and then you had to travel farther than that. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's a little nebulous at times, and all the franchises have had those lapses. So anyway, that's kind of uh, and the E-frames were kind of a hybrid of space, air, and ground combat. Uh you have, you know, your your star your starships. You have your mecha infantry, and that was pretty neat. What did you think? Uh, oh, oh, I love it. And that. they were, and the E-frames were basically Neuralinks. Yeah, basically, you had the energy jammed right into your head. <laughs> you had a big, you had a big um, coaxial cable just go right into your, right into the base of your brain. Let your brain stem. <laughs> yep. It was. It was a giant coax, you know, that you use uh, to to plug in old headphones. <laughs> um, so no, I liked it. Not. It really was. It, it was. Yeah, uh, I love the idea of the e frames. It kind of blew my mind that oh, and even the ground pounders or the jumpers or whatever, you know, had their own version of armor and and whatnot, which wasn't an all-encompassing thing, but it did enhance their abilities on the on the battlefield. Well, it which... also allowed them to fight and you know on moons and stuff with no atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So I, I I loved the idea. I thought it was wholly. I mean, it wasn't, but I it felt wholly original to me. 
Um, well, it was the expansion of it was usual, pretty good. Though. Yeah. Um, I think we've got to jump into Star Wars. Just a second. Because, and we will, don't worry. I'm just going to do a side note because I have to say this because my mind is blown. Talking about traveling in the solar system, taking weeks in ExoSquad to the outer planets, maybe. Can you believe that we're about to land on the moon in three years? Can you believe we landed on the moon like 50 years ago? I know, but when they canceled the Constellation program back in 2011... I didn't think we were going to do it anytime soon. I mean, yeah, 14 years is a a bit of a time jump, but we're going to be landing on the moon in three years and putting a base on there. That's the mission objective. It's been a long road. (laughs) I just, it's kind of blowing my mind. Yeah, well, they're not allowed to have beer up there, but they can make Pruno or something. Pruno? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you can make wine in the toilet up here. <laughs> so, but yeah, we're gonna have a moon go base. Out and you sniff a little moon air. And... Oh, oh! But we're gonna have a moon base. We're gonna have the start of a moon base. That's gonna be Great. pretty crazy. Then we can have Moonraker starring James Bond. There we go. There it is. All right, let's let's start. Hi, Death Star. Death Star. <laughs> okay, Darth. <laughs> um, highly highly delicious movie, by the way. Uh, oh yeah, baby. <laughs> I, I recently rewatched all three. They were just on cable, and I'm just like, why not? I'll watch them. It was just, I mean. There's more outrageous stuff out now, but uh, thanks to Seth Rogen. But man, still quite enjoyable. Yeah, well, it's a good time. Yeah. And folks, I know we've talked about other fleets. And we might have a quick honorable mention of a few things at the very end. But we would be remiss if we did not dive into the two most well-known space Probably most diverse, too. Really, yes. And fleshed course, out. That's what happens when you have franchises spanning 40 to 50 to 60 years. You know? Yeah, that just so. keep going. Yes. So, Lead in. we're going to go ahead and start with Star Wars. Good. Which, Good. Because it's, it's right there in the title, Star. Right? So you're definitely going to have Ships, spaceships, and then war, because they literally fought wars in all three trilogies <laughs> and everything else in between. There's no star piece. It's always no. Star Wars. Why? Because <laughs> it looks cool. You need to sell tickets. You have, in the Republic era, the Republic... Let's talk made... about A New Hope first. Well, the opening scene literally is a, star, is a space battle. Right. You have this... Kind of neat looking submarine little looking ship flying, mm-hmm. and it's like you can tell it's being shot at, and somebody's shooting back, and then this huge thing just keeps going and going. And the legendary going. shot that that changed cinema forever. Yeah, and here comes the Imperial Star Destroyer, which looks like it could eat this thing and shit it mm-hmm. in three seconds. 
And it's and this, it does. This, it does. And it's this huge triangular diamondy shaped Which, pointed tip vessel with a giant conning tower like a submarine, like an aircraft carrier, and of course extremely powerful. It held several dozen squadrons of TIE fighters. They which had, we didn't know at the time. We had landing craft, you know, Imperial shuttles. They carried... We didn't know at the time. But they carried <laughs> scout walkers, mm-hmm. Imperial walkers, thousands of ground troops, and one Darthy motherfucker. <laughs> I want to kind of go through the evolution of the, the Star Wars fleets we don't have to do it through all of the movies. Let's just do it through the original trilogy because we, we all know what's going on with the others. Right. But I think it, I think it shows an interesting evolution. If you look at the three different movies, because in a new hope, you saw the star destroyer. You didn't know what it was. You didn't know it had fighters on it. You didn't know that it had all these different shuttles or an Imperial shuttle or anything like that. It just had this big docking bay that that would pick up this this uh, rebel ship, which looked kind of cool. We later find and the only reason we don't we don't see we any other rebel ships stars. at all. We know they have stormtroopers. We do know that, but we don't we don't see any other rebel ships other than the X-wing. Well, we see the Tantive Four, which is the Rebel Blockade Runner. You see the X-Wing. You see the Y-Wings. Oh, they did add a couple Y-Wings in there, didn't there they? There was a squadron of Y-Wings and a squadron of, of X-Wings. Was that, in, was that in the special edition, or was it always there? It was in both. Uh, and they just added more ships in the special yeah, they, edition. Yeah, that's what they did in the special edition. Yeah. So, and we'll they talk about from that like later. 12 ships <laughs> in the original to like 30. Just to yeah. look a little bit more realistic. And the neat thing <laughs> just, is, and I saw a video about this recently which I really loved was what Rogue One did to enhance New Hope. And then when you think about why Darth Vader is so fucking pissed after he just had to go carve up a bunch of dudes, they just had to blow up the Imperial base on Scarif, and they lost a bunch of fucking star star destroyers there, and complete embarrassment to the frickin' um, to the Empire, and so he's just... And then, of course, you just miss him slicing and dicing all those dudes, right? Yes. <laughs> but then you realize that the Rebels lost most of their fleet in that. Yep. And so all they got right now, as far as, is like a couple of ragtag squadrons. Yep, that's oh. it. And, but, and, and plus good, good observation. Falcon. Plus the Millennium Falcon. It's a good observation because, I mean, technically we all know that it was just the first movie, A New Hope, so they didn't have as many ships. But we only saw a bunch of fighters, and mostly just the X-Wing. Um, which went in, and it was a World War II fight. You know, the you have this big uh, aircraft carrier slash spaceship or space station They're coming, doing bombing runs and dogfighting. Right, exactly. And you got to see the Tie Wings, which we didn't. We saw the Tie fighters come in from the from uh, the Death Star, 
We didn't see them come from the the Star Destroyers. Yeah, I don't think I think you're right. I don't think we saw anything come out of them. And then of course you saw the whatever the tie advanced, whatever the what the Darth was flying. Yeah, which was, which was a great. You know, that was a good a good touch too. But that was all we saw. Um, and then in Empire Strikes Back, we actually got to see passenger transports and Mon Calamari uh, cruisers. No, we did not see the Mon Cal cruisers in that. We saw the Nebulon B, the little weird. Oh, yeah, you're right. Chunk ships. You saw that. You saw some transports for the Rebel Alliance. Plus, you saw the snow speeders. Yep. You saw them riding on Tauntauns. Snow lizards. <laughs> Does that make sense? Well, you know, they and had hair. So you see those. Or was it feathers? You see their ground defenses, which was basically trenches with some turret-based weapon systems. And they mm-hmm. had one honk and ion cannon, which knocked a fucking Imperial Star Destroyer out of <laughs> orbit. Yeah, that was pretty what sweet. What we saw with the Empire was a fleet of Star Destroyers and a Super Star Destroyer, which dwarfed the Star Destroyers. Was it the Executor, the Executor or the Executor? I think it's either or, whatever you want. I think it was... <laughs> Executor that... sounds more mex- menacing. Yeah, I think it's just the way you pronounce it. I was reading uh, Timothy Zahn's uh, first book, Heir to the Empire. and Love that book. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to pronounce the damn ship. So, because <laughs> wasn't it Thrawn that was, like, missing the Executor? Uh, well, I'm sure they were, I don't think, I don't know. I can't remember that. I just know that yeah. he liked, he, he kept his flagship aboard. I think he was actually mocking the start, the Superstar Destroyer, which is why he, he kept his flagship aboard the Chimera, mm. the Star Destroyer. Right, so. right. Okay, so, so we got that. to see more diversity in the Rebels. And uh, in you saw Empire, more of the Empire. at the end. Well, but you get to see the size of the Empire where they have the, they drop the, well, they, we get to see the, the probe droids, which were also dangerous. You mm-hmm. got to see the uh, Imperial Snow Troopers. You got to see the Chicken Walkers, the Scout Walkers. You Brief see, shot. Yeah. And then you get to see the fucking monstrous star destroyers which were not star destroyers the uh at walkers which just comes out of nowhere <laughs> what that, that's a hell of a mix-up there the star destroyer versus the AT-ATs. okay one's a ground destroyer <laughs> and the battle so, of hoth which is basically a rebel defeat but they're able to get most of their troops off base right? and escape. To regroup. And right. remember, they all regrouped to the outside. After the Battle of Hoth, most of the Rebels' story is done. Right. And then it's just, you're just <laughs> following the, the main characters. Everybody else <laughs> is running for their lives. Right, every everyone's running for their lives, and we're just waiting for you know they're well, they probably got away, and then they're just waiting for uh, General Leia to get there. So <laughs> she wasn't in charge of 
that much. They had other people in charge. She was, she was just Princess Leia all around fucking bad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The the she most had some authority. See, of course, she was a princess, and <laughs> she also had more balls than ninety percent of the people around her. Well, yeah, where she was running to danger as opposed to running from it. Yeah. So. The the again, you see a little bit more of the Millennium Falcon trying to fight and escape and and whatnot. You get to see those weird cloud cars, which are like douchey little two two, two side shoes. cars put together. Yeah, two two wooden shoes with a with a plank in between. Yeah. So, <laughs> but the neat things that you really see, you know, you actually see what's left of the Rebel fleet regrouping at the end of the movie. You get to see the Nebulon B medical cruiser and a couple of the transports and stuff. So you're like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe there is something out there. And once you get to Return of the Jedi and you get past the opening scenes to the Rebel Alliance fleet, that's when you see the Mon Calamari Star Destroyers. That's right. It was Return of the Jedi. You get to see Home One, which is their big flagship, which looks like a more cylindrical Mon Calamari Bubbly. starship. And then you have the regular Moncal ones, which look like flat and wide, kind of almost look like stingrays. And then you have all the various fighters. You have the X-Wings and the Y-Wings, which we've already seen. You have the A-Wings, which are little snub fighters. And then you have the B-Wings, which are kind of like bigger fighter bombers. And, of course, the Millennium Falcon. The Millennium Falcon. Which actually really fights in this one. Because, uh... Lando yeah. aboard the Millennium Falcon is the leader of the fighter attack. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Along with Wedge in his X-Wings. And then you, you think, get... What? Do you think the reason why Lando is wearing Han's exact clothing at the end of Empire was because Lando couldn't... He didn't have anything... To put on his back, like he he left he literally left Cloud City, and he had to raid Han's wardrobe. Yeah, that was weird, but yes, that's basically it. I think that answers it, right? <laughs> it would make sense. So <laughs> I don't think Han kept uh, Lando's cape collection, like uh, no. <laughs> like from Solo. Oh no, Lando Lando took that. He he took that at the end of Solo. So so when we. When we see the Battle of Endor, you get to see the Death Star, which we failed to mention, the Imperial fleet with the Death Star, which has the super laser, which can blow up ships, blow up planets. It can also make your tea Earl Grey hot from across the galaxy. No. No, I'm not allowing that. Take it back. I will not. Take it back. You get to see the Imperial... Um, Put it in the shuttles. file and take it back. <laughs> take it back. And then, you know, you get to see some rebel ground troops again who are wearing uh, camouflaged, basically, ponchos, which there is something there to it because that actually breaks up the shape of a humanoid. And you get to see the rebels or the Imperial scout troopers on speeder bikes. Yep. And you get to see more of the scout walkers. You know what would have been more effective than the the, uh, the ponchos? Ghillie suits? 
aversion. Not not that not that extreme. Keeping the ponchos, but using like um, you know you know the the netting that they use to hide camo netting. From, yeah, camo netting. That kind of that kind of same material on the ponchos. Nah, trust me. No. No, that stuff gets tangled in everything. What the hell do you know? Jesus. <laughs> Lord help me. <laughs> and that's just what you see in, you know, the original three movies. Now, Rogue One expands on it a little, where you see a couple of different styles of Imperial Stormtrooper. You see a couple of different styles of both Rebel and uh, uh, Imperial fighters and ships. We got to find out what the cor- Hammerhead Corvette does. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Did we yeah. know that? Was that in the books at all? Was that ever mentioned before? Not that I'd ever seen, so. <laughs> but it was a Hammerhead Corvette. So you, well, there it you was, go. It was, uh, it was pretty good. You know, you got to see an expansion of that. Obviously, through, uh, you know, the Mandalorian, you see some various types of other craft. Clone Wars, you get to see all the earlier... In the prequels, you get to see the Venator-class Star Destroyers, which are like smaller versions of the Imperial Star Destroyers, only they're really more equipped for uh, for fighters and, uh, and uh, LST uh, combat transport launching. They have the six-legged uh, terrain, all-terrain walkers. There's also the um, oh, in the Clone Wars and in the the in the the prequel trilogy. There's just so many different types of fucking equipment that they use between movie and episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the well. They had the hammerheads, which were the Z1, no headhunters. That's what they were. Yeah, I was going to say. The headhunters, which were looked like X-Wings only with two wings instead of the X, the S-foils. Yeah. So you see the Jedi Starfighters. You see the fighter bombers, which were like E-wings or something like that. Then you have the Vulture fighters for the CIS and all their different capital ships. The Malevolent, that was pretty fucking cool. That was the Separatist ship that fired the giant energy draining weapon uh in uh revenge of the sith in the clone wars oh in the clone wars yeah we 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 didn't see it in the in revenge of the sith no but the ship it was like based off of a a regular separatist battleship you have the trade federation ships the lucre hulk federation ships which look like a donut with a donut hole in the middle of it that they could right. put on the ground. You get to see the clones use artillery. Um, they have the clone army is basically badass. Um, a good version of stormtroopers versus <laughs> the the B one and B two battle droids, the spider droids, the uh, manga droids, and so basically they're just fighting droids most of the time. You'll occasionally get allied local forces like Saw Gerrera and his rebels on Onderon during the Clone Wars and then again his 
batshit crazy fucking resistance cell. <laughs> you get to see all of this different technology. And because the Clone Wars and even the Bad Batch start to expand upon the uh, the uh, prequels, they really build on a lot of the um, equipment more. The clones right. come from all various types of specialties, including underwater troops, uh, rocket pack troops. Of course, there's the Mandalorians, the Jedi, the Sith, the Witches of Dathomir. They all are different people. Some are Force users. And there's the Mandalorians who look like, you know, armored knights with jetpacks and gizmos and all their gear like flamethrowers and grappling hooks and all different types of weapons hidden in every crevice of their armor and possibly up their ass don't know and of course you see that in the mandalorian as well as in the book of boba fett you get to see uh some earlier imperial star um imperial walkers with just one little gun in rebels you get to see a couple of different types of ships, including a star carrier, the ghost, a couple other items in Rebels. And then when you transition past Mandalorian into the First Order and Resistance Fleet, and you don't see much of the Resistance Fleet except for at the very end, where the Resistance Fleet is basically just of everything ever seen in Star Wars ever. Yeah. Whereas the the First Order has new types of Star Destroyers and Dreadnoughts and Starkiller Base, which is just a Death Star on steroids. You have an updated version of the X-Wing. You had to or, take a half. You had to take a breath. Oh, yeah. It's a <laughs> Star Wars, you just can't. We could do an entire episode we, just reviewing. But let's not. All but let's not. We're running, we're running out of time. We also need to move on to Star Trek. So. Right. So basically, you know, most of the resistance stuff is reused stuff, just like the Rebel Alliance was reused stuff from other periods and everything else. And of course, then you have the Sith Eternal, which have Imperial Star Destroyers with Death Star weapons on them. Thanks a lot, Palpy, you bitch. <clears throat> so that's where we're at with those. <laughs> Mostly focused in the the trilogy is mostly focused on space battles. The prequels plus definitely the Clone Wars, you see a lot more focus on ground combat. Right. The Jedi were not hopping, basically. Right. The Jedi were not particularly effective ground combat commanders, so it was just basically troops running at each other at, at, at droids like fucking <laughs> old war movies from like World War II or the Civil War. <laughs> Occasionally, you'll have great tactical plans by people like Rex, occasionally Anakin, Cody, and Obi-Wan. But most of the time, they just... Poor Cody. (sighs) Yeah. May he rest in peace. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Until he shows up in Obi-Wan, which I kind of think he might. Wait, did he survive 66? Cody was, yeah, was Obi-Wan's guy who opened fire on him. Right. Obi-Wan didn't kill him. He didn't kill him? No, he fell off the fucking lizard into the water. Oh, he ran. Uh, 
No, he was going elsewhere, and then Order 66 happened, and they shot his lizard out from under him. Right, a Cody did that. That's right. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of uh, uh, Yoda. Go ahead and just no, Yoda's beheading his, his attache. <laughs> oh, and let's not forget just how fucking awesome the Wookiee military was. Oh, Jesus. They were pretty we wild. to go to Star Trek. <laughs> it the was, Ewoks it was great. pretty tough, too, for... Yeah. <laughs> The Wookiees at least knew how to use technology. Yes, that is true. But so, Star Trek. How can you not do Star Trek? We almost but, didn't. I got time. I I, I don't, but... All right, so we'll, we'll cut it back to the fleet's most pro- properly seen. Cardassia, Breen, Dominion... Klingon, Romulan, Federation. Really, for the most part, the major fleets you see at all during the show. Well, the overall theme in Star Trek is it's basically just bigger ships. And that's about it. You have shuttlecraft. And then it isn't until the very end of the Dominion War where we start seeing the Federation having small fighters. You see... So what you see is the Maquis using Federation fighters in small vessels, which were basically just bigger and smaller versions of the same model. Right. (laughs) um, Using these little raiders, and then you see them reused again in the Dominion War as Federation starfighters, which... Which they never felt menacing to me. I never never saw those little ships... As like a menacing force that that would add value to the fleet. You never see them properly used. I mean, you just no. hear about them essentially. Although it was kind of neat to see them fly in formation and start dive bombing the Cardassians. I will well, that say was that, great. That, that was, was awesome. Pretty, that was you know, and you got to see them knock out a couple of the smaller ships. Um, but yeah, was there real fighter on fighter combat? No, you get the occasional no. small ship on small ship. Like the runabouts fighting a smaller ships. Or the runabouts fighting uh, aircraft in uh, Season 2. Uh, Kira and Dax were, took the uh, runabout in the atmosphere. No, they took a they took an old Bajoran snub fighter into the atmosphere. Oh, was it a snub fighter? God damn yeah. it. Because the runabouts had evacuated everybody from Deep Space Nine. Oh, all right. Never mind. You don't see a ton of ground combat in Star Trek, but you do get to see, well, you get to see some Klingons and Jem'Hadar trying to take over starships and Star Trek. Right, it's always a siege situation. <clears throat> or or of a, maybe even not a siege, but, you know, boarding parties and such. Right. The next generation had, would have the occasional phaser battle with a, couple, with a handful of people shooting at each other. The occasional ship-on-ship battle. But you really don't see much beyond two ships three ships shooting at each other it's almost like technological constraints forced writers to actually write yes perhaps <laughs> and, in, and in the original series you barely see real i mean well it's little models just doing this back and forth most yeah of the and we got to see three Constitution class ships all, w- you know, with uh, the Enterprise in one episode. I forget what it was called, though. I think that was the ultimate computer. Might have been. 
Were they coming after the Enterprise? No, I think they were meeting up to do the war games with the uh, M5 computer. That was the first time we saw that in TOS, and probably the only time. But yeah. that was a that was a a treat to see. Every other time they came across a Federation starship, it was like it was going to be destroyed or it was already destroyed. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and you only heard about it; you didn't actually see it. Well, you saw the Defiant disappear in the Tholian web, and I think didn't they fly the constellation into the big fucking planet eater? Yeah. And they're all they're all they're, they're all Enterprise models. Yeah. But yeah. Talk about the kit fashion. <laughs> So, but so yeah, you, I mean, go ahead. You saw very little. You saw the the uh, submarine battle that was between the Enterprise and the Bert, the Romulan Bird of Prey and Balance of Terror. You mm-hmm. saw a couple of fights with Klingon ships. You got saw maybe one fight with Romulans using Klingon ships. <laughs> and then you don't really see much until the Wrath of Khan, where you see a really good ship on ship battle oh that was that was wonderful it was and you don't see any real much of mostly just ambushes in um in search for spock you know yes crew blows up his girlfriend ship then he blows up the grissom and then it and the enterprise duke it out until kirk blows up the enterprise and hijacks the klingon ship you don't see really Jack in um, the voyage home. You don't really see much aside, I think, from the Klingons attacking uh, the Enterprise briefly above the God planet, I think. Although you do get to see some interesting ground tactics with Kirk and his um, rescue mission to the planet. To, to, to paradise? To Paradise City on Nimbus Three, I yeah. did like that because we and got they, to see a side of we got to see a side of Starfleet that we never saw. Yeah, some of the guys had body armor and they had the they looked like um, riot shields. Yep, they actually rode in on on horses and shit. Yeah, and so you got to see some of that. I actually liked the tactical. Um, the 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 army actually had like a kind of a a version of those sweaters. They're usually more for. For uh, like wearing under your actual camouflage uniform, cold but, weather. Yeah, but I I kind of like that as a uniform. That subdued kind of grayish brown mm-hmm. It's actually a pretty good looking uniform. Of course, they the red uniforms were pretty good looking anyway. Really made them look more like a real military during the yeah. last, during those eras. And of course, you had the great. Um, end battle at uh, Kittimer in the Undiscovered Country between the Enterprise and the Cloak Bird of Prey and then the Excelsior coming in. It was kind of fun to watch them double-team the Bird of Prey at the end. (laughs) Um, It was only recently that I realized that they probably put Sulu on the Excelsior so that they didn't have so that George George and uh, um, Shatner didn't have to interact. Maybe they didn't re- interact as much, but I guess in a, in a cut scene from, and you can find it, a deleted scene from the Wrath of Khan when they're flying up to the Enterprise, 
Kirk actually congratulates Sulu. He was actually supposed to get the Excelsior. Oh, yeah, really? Mm-hmm. Well, that was that was uh, probably trying to have that was to Kay probably saying, "Hey, uh, I gotta get out of here." Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, it was. Uh, you get to see those. You get to. Well, all right. Well, let me just put it to you this way: you don't see a ton of. I mean, even in the next generation, the closest you see to big fleet battles is you see what's left of the Starfleet after the Borg kick its ass. You see mostly one-on-one. And then you see a handful of, you know, uh, best the, or enter, yesterday's Enterprise. You get to see the Enterprise taking on a couple of birds of prey. You know, the two Which, Enterprises. That was a terrible battle, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was just... The Enterprise didn't fire for shit. Yeah. When they should have. Drove me right. nuts as a 10-year-old. I know. It was awful. <laughs> Any battle with the Borg was pretty rough. Um, you got well, we to didn't, see... We didn't get to see many modern ships for most of TNG's run in the sense that we didn't see the same kind of nacelles that the D had. Right. The same kind of curvatures that the D had or the, 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 the texture. You know, we saw the Nebula class. Yeah, but you even didn't really see, yeah, you didn't really even see that much of that doing anything. No. The most you saw of multiple starships, you think we saw like five or six starships in the scene at the end of Redemption Part 1, where they, all the, uh, or in Redemption Part 2, midway through when Picard has like his fleet fly off and they're like, oh. Well, we've got, we've got our Enterprise, you know, we've got your one model of this, you got your one model of that. They just like reuse like the six models that they use. Right. They show right. them. Oh, yeah. that's huge. <laughs> but we didn't see much of that. Right. So next gen, not as great as fleet battles. Of course, Enterprise supposed to be this big, powerful ship, and you don't see it do a ton of really great maneuvering until generations. You do see a Galaxy class put up a put up a fight during um, the Gem Hadar. But it does yeah. get smoked. The Odyssey. It, yeah, the Odyssey. I He's wish that I wish he didn't get I wish that captain didn't get smoked because I would have loved to see him more. Keo? Yeah. yeah. That was Skeletor, dude. I know. I know. And I love him. I loved I I just was like, yeah, I need to see more of this. Oh I, what I <laughs> what we really needed was him actually commanding in Skeletor's voice. Oh, I think I think the Odyssey <laughs> would have won that one, dude. Just saying, just saying. And, and with the sick burns too in the commands. <laughs> it was it was. Uh, you got to see a little bit of runabout fighting at some points. Deep Space yeah. Nine is what really showed Starfleet as a fleet. Okay, normally, and you know, because of course the Enterprises are all way out there. You really. You don't get much in, in Voyager. It's usually one-on-one or some hit-and-run fights. <clears throat> the only real big fleet of Federation starships you see is at the fucking end when they all show up to fight the Borg and then escort Voyager home. <laughs> yeah. You do get a pretty good couple of space battles in the uh, in the Voyager episode. Uh, was it Meshes in a Bottle? When they send mm. the Doctor to the Prometheus? Yeah, the experimental ship that splits up. Yeah, and we talked about that. And the, the Federation that ship too. dukes it out with the Romulans and some pretty decent shit there. 
you know, they had some Defiant class, Akira class, Nebula class, and then some Wormu and Warbirds. But Deep Space Nine really busted out. I think maybe their first big great fleet battle, aside from the small multiple ship engagement during the Oh, Jeff it was Way Star. of the Warrior. No, it was the die is cast, I think. The Klingon or the Romulans. It was the Romulan and Cardassian alliance against the Jem Hadar. Romulan against the Jem Hadar. Remember when Garrett? Oh yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. There were some pretty good fights in season three with the uh, with the Defiant and some Jem Hadar ships. But you're right. Way of the Warrior had some of the best fight. Uh, definitely had the best starship fight. Although uh, Emiss- Emissary had a decent fight. Um, a little. I mean, you at least got to see Wolf 359 in action. <clears throat> Multiple right. starships flying around. I mean, they all got yeah. wrecked, but still. Yeah. No, that was that was a neat watch uh, to see it actually happen. Right. You see, part of the thing that you went... The writers of Star Trek did not do particularly a great job with tactical fleet battles much with the occasional decent one and i mean they did some great battles but the tactics were terrible it's almost as if that they were more intellectual writers than they were actual like action go get them writers don't get me wrong the battles and sacrifices of (laughs) angels way of the warrior there there are some great battle scenes you know, sure, but they don't really do a great job with, you know, with uh, ground combat. They're terrible, except for point. a couple of. Uh, hey, they weren't the siege of AR five five eight wasn't too bad. They weren't like like huddled right next to each other. They were kind of spaced out. Of course, the Gem Hadar always run at you. After they unshroud. Yeah. <laughs> you need to unshroud when you begin combat, hand-to-hand combat. You just right. fire fire when you're shrouded, man. Maybe they can't do it. Maybe it's like a cloaking device. Ugh. I don't know, hey, man. Rumor has it we got a cloaking device uh, for uh, ground combat troops now. It's called camouflage, dude. No, 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 no. I'm talking like Harry Potter shit. Like but, an actual cloak of invisibility? Yeah. <laughs> well, where's mine? I know. <laughs> well, you're out of the service, so. so <laughs> Unless they're coming over yonder. <laughs> well, they don't want to come over yonder to me. No. <laughs> but anyway, Star Trek, you know, the Klingon fleet was very, aside from the fact that they lay in wait, the cloaking device. So, you know, the way they fight in ground combat, the way they fight in space combat is very aggressive, coming at you and swooping in and dive bombing. The way the Jem'Hadar are, they, they, and you've got the little fighters zipping in, they're like, they're kind of like um, a pack of wolves trying to take down a moose, you know, getting at the (laughs) tendons and stuff, trying to bring down the bigger ships. The Breen well, brought effective. something interesting with the energy dampening weapon. Where they that was flying. your idea. The neutron torpedo. You remember that? You came up with that during our fan fiction days. I do. I, I'm pretty awesome. Did you not remember that? 
Oh, I do. The, on the cannon on the starship we were talking about. Yeah. Because when I saw that happen, I, my first immediate thought was, oh, crap, DT. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I did kind of think maybe the ion cannon from Empire Strikes Back may have impacted me a little. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but when it comes to the Federation as a military, it's not great. Their tactics are usually poor. It takes them a long time to get going. It does. They got their ass kicked for the first, like, six months of the Dominion War. You know, they lose Deep Space Nine in a holding action, but that was almost by design. And then the Klingons and Starfleet do wipe out a Dominion shipyard um, while they're keeping the main Dominion forces focused on Deep Space Nine. But then that's it. Then they're getting their ass whooped for six months before they finally start making some successes. <laughs> and really, Chintaka, that was an entire year after the start of the war. I they know. barely advanced outside of Chintaka. <laughs> and then they lost Chintaka in the second battle when the Breen showed up. And then <laughs> they, they finally retake Chintaka. And, then, and when the Cardassians switch sides, then they're able to push all the way to Cardassia. Right. But, I mean, you get to see some different things. Like in Deep Space Nine, you get to see them actually use the weapon systems on Deep Space Nine in two episodes. Mm-hmm. You get to see the the, 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 the Cardassian automated weapons platforms was a pretty good idea. I liked that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was great. The Cardassians had like three types of ships that they had to use. These little, you know, horseshoe crab looking fighters. And then they have like the uh, the Galar class starship. And then another Galar class starship with extra shit on it. Yeah. <laughs> just They added some stuff on top. The Klingons <laughs> did a pretty good job of having different ones. In the invasion of Deep Space Nine, they had... You know, your birds of prey, of course, they have the two types. You have the little scout ship type, and then you have the big mm, type. The big ones. Really, it's just the, the model at different sides. Right, different but th- they, that was it was originally supposed to be a small... The, the bird of prey was originally, in the movie, it was just supposed to be a small fighter with a 12-man crew. But until, in the, the next generation, they upscaled them. <laughs> until they created the attack cruiser, which was pretty cool. The attack cruiser, the kind of light bluish, greenish one that yeah. looks like a, a, a an old battle front, right? Which looks kind of like a battle cruiser on steroids. I need to go find my micro machines. Yeah, <laughs> it was a pretty, you know, the Klingon fleet was a bit more diverse than some of the others because it's shown more often. And then you have the big Negvar, their flagship, which was the ships from All Good Things. Yep. And of course, they very much, the Klingons are aggressive. The Romulans are shown to be kind of sneaky. They kind of come in from different angles. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and of course, the warbirds are always kind of weird because they're like two clamshells on top of each other, right? I fucking love that design. Yeah. I fucking love it. It's like, a, it's, it's literally, a, it is a raptor beak at the front. And you've got you've got basically two wings. Yeah. Tactically, there's nothing in between. It's just like it, it, you know, if you come at it from the front, 
There's very little to hit. I fucking love that design. Yeah, I get it. It was interesting. And I we didn't we haven't seen it in Picard yet. No, we just saw all the 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 newer weirder type warbirds. The warbirds that they showed in Nemesis were actually pretty cool. The Mogai class, which were kind of really raptory looking. Yeah, I Not missed like, the Derritics. Yeah, I know. But of course, then you get into um, First Contact, where they develop all these more powerful starships, which can actually take a punch, like the, um, Akira the, class? So- the Sovereign class, the Akira class. You got your Steamrunner class, your Norway class. All because of the Borg. All because of the Borg. And of course, your Defiant class, which you start to see more of. Right. And, you know, these ships can actually take a punch and fight back. And, of course, most of them were never seen during the Dominion War outside of <laughs> some Akira classes. And they're all CGI. They're all CGI ships in, in first contact. So, I mean, you couldn't. Th- that costs money in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> they used a few Akira class in some of the battle scenes. But used, mostly they're using Galaxy class, Excelsior class. And, yeah. Um, Models <laughs> and, and, and Miranda class fighting the war. models that they used uh, shots of and then cloned. Right. So. <laughs> so you saw a lot of that. You figured they could have thrown in at least uh, the sovereign class in the final battle of Cardassia somewhere. Right. You know, would have just made sense. Five bucks and that you could have got Jonathan Frakes to call in over. This is Riker of the Enterprise moving into position. Or yeah, I mean, that's all you needed. Honestly, that's all you. I mean, Frakes was fucking directing some of these episodes. Yeah, I like, know. <laughs> the Dominion War a- provided a lot of great battles. The Klingons, of course, were very militaristic. The Romulans were very militaristic. The Cardassians were militaristic. The only ones who really weren't were like the Ferengi and the fucking Federation. Right. But you know, it's interesting about start. What makes Star Trek different than all the others is that it was basically huge aircraft carriers hitting other huge aircraft carriers. Yeah, it was like uh, Midway. Yeah. No, it wasn't Midway because the aircraft oh, carriers didn't see it each was, other. It was like Jutland in World War One, where all the battleships are just launching shit at each other. Yes, yes, that, that's, it was that. <laughs> because there's no aircraft being used, in, or there's no small craft, except for really, you only see it during the uh, Operation Return. Sacrifice right. of Angels, where they basically use the fighters as cannon fodder to try to piss off the Cardassians. Right, exactly. So it's an interesting it's an interesting dichotomy. And and you know, I mean Star Trek was for a long time the only the only show out there aside from B five, and B five took a very different approach. They and it you could honestly say that they probably drew some inspiration from Star Wars for their Star Furies. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. But Star Trek, of course, it's like. You could tell that they really based it more on. Some of the uh, age of exploration aboard, you know, like. Quote unquote, Navy vessels, but they weren't heavily armed that they would go exploring different areas. You know. um, Yeah. You're looking late 1800s, early 1900s. You're. And while, you know, you have Horatio Hornblower as a major um, influence on Star Trek, and that was the Navy, 
you see a little bit more of like an Ernest Shackleton, like I'm going adventuring out to places that have not been seen before. Yeah. That's really what Star Trek has been for most of it. And aside from things like Enterprise, the last year or so where they brought the Makos on to beef up their security and the occasional group fight scene during season four when you have like the Romul or the uh the Vulcans and the Andorians occasionally duking it out. I mean it was mostly if you got it was ship on ship, you know, for the most part. Ship on ship action. Yeah, just one, <laughs> normally just one on one. Right. Enterprise. Uh, they did use some pretty decent tactics for the Makos, um, which kind of made sense there. But if you look at We've their tactics, about that. yeah, if we look at the tactics of Starfleet, it's very much. I think they tried to make them look more like cops in cop shows. You know, they're hiding behind corners and, you know, well, yeah, all close quarters movement. But still, regular cops are a little bit bad. <laughs> Better than that. <laughs> but until you get to Deep Space Nine where you have some a little bit better stuff, I mean, it wasn't per- uh, Discovery's combat, even though it was like a, a more militaristic Starfleet, their tactics and military uh, decisions weren't that much better. Are we really going into discovery? Um, I'm just saying. I mean, there were some pretty good. Ba- there were some pretty entertaining battle scenes in the Kelvin show, uh, shows. I will give that a pass. Yes, that was. I, I mean, the the Star Trek 09 blew my freaking mind. Well, they kind of did a little bit more of like the the small, like anti aircraft kind of things and like machine mm-hmm. guns phasers which i get the long beams maybe they don't look as cool anymore especially after the defiant broke that mold but when i'm talking about militaries probably the the best ones you'll see are probably in star wars to a degree as far as most well no, I won't say that. They're Uh-oh. entertaining as fuck, but still. <laughs> the stormtroopers can't for shit shoot Starf- anyone. Starfleet is beautiful. It's gorgeous. When you see all these ships together, the different designs, it looks awesome. Like the Battle of Sector 001 in First Contact was pretty good. And when you look a little deeper, you realize that they've been fighting this battle against the Borg for probably a couple of days. The time it takes, or maybe even a week. It's a good point. Well, I mean, the, the it was get from the neutral zone to Earth, and you keep hearing periodic cuts in about defense and depth, where they're like telling them to fall right. back and moving to this star system to moving to Alpha Centauri, falling right. back to the Oort Cloud, falling back to yep. They were doing a defense in depth, so the Borg, anytime they would break through one line, they would regroup and fall back. And bring up more ships. And unlike um, the Battle of Wolf 359, where they're kind of all flying in willy nilly and getting knocked off left and right, where you could tell that the starship captains really didn't have any experience, <laughs> experience fighting, 
now you have people trained to fight the Borg. Starfleet doctrine changed. Oh, yeah. Well, it went darker. Military, uniforms. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the phasers. The phaser rifles were badass, dude. They looked like That's actual true. rifles, not like fucking squirt guns. Like, like the phaser no. rifles of the next generation. You know, I don't think the Borg gets their due for how much they fundamentally changed Starfleet. I don't think it's really talked about as much. Well, you get the Borg, and then you have to follow it up with the Dominion. So that period right there, worse than the Klingons, worse than the Romulans, fundamentally changed how the Federation operated. The Federation would have been screwed, though, with the Dominion if they had not run into the Borg first. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, the Galaxy-class starships used during the Dominion Wars looked uh, packed a lot more punch than the Enterprise-D. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's several years later, a little bit more technology. A little or, bit more tactical, tactical uh, uh, rebranding. Maybe. <laughs> but when you're flying a, essentially a research and, uh, and convention center in space, um, you know, then you notice how ang- much angular, more angular the starships became. These big yeah. swooping dishes were... Now tighter, they were squatter. Oblong. Yeah, a little, you know, and the big chicken necks disappearing, you know. Mm-hmm. The they, started, they started lifting their, weights. Well, they started looking <laughs> like they could design to be more maneuverable, take a punch better, and, of course, in Star Trek, reduce your shield. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, a little tickle in my throat. Just got a little excited there. Yeah, and I've heard it. But, you know, the Enterprise-D's shield bubble was very big because of how it was designed. The Enterprise-E, which had fewer decks, maybe a little longer, but it was more compact. The Iron Shields were more compact. It was able to, and they could kind of almost flatten it out. It's kind of the way we designed the Abrams tank, where those sloping planes could deflect yep maybe not a direct armor piercing round but you know glancing blows could could bounce bounce. right off yeah so that's kind of used it was good to see them pick up some lessons Well, well it was neat to see the evolution of the fleet as the years went by and 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 what we're not talking about yes there was you know a budgetary thing and some stylistic changes here and there but real i mean and i don't even know if the cre- the crew should get the credit we're giving them but it feels like it was the long drawn plan the borg are going to do this we need to change these ships to 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 make a more militarized starfleet over the years well, a lot of people have talked about, and I can see this, how the original series in the next generation were kind of highlights of exploration and stuff, right? The uniforms yeah. are colorful. There's very little direct combat. There's more exploration, discussing diplomacy. And then you get a lot of the run-ins with the Klingons and other things. And, and then you have the movie uniforms, which are more militaristic. The refit versions of the Enterprise and such are much more, it's beefier looking, yep. right? It's got the 
clearly defined torpedo launchers on its neck. The neck is thicker yep. than the cells are thicker. Everything looks like it, the the uh, Excelsior definitely looks like it, and it's more squat and angular. So now you see that kind of the way that Sovereign replaced the Galaxy class. You see that flattening the gray uniform being the next generation's version of the red uniform. Mm-hmm. A little some those look a little bit more like Age of Sail military guys, like their dress uniform. Yes. But you still see their phasers look more compact, more realistic. That you start seeing security guys with body armor in the movies. Yep. Um, Deep Space Nine took a lot of the first contact stuff after they built the Defiant. Aside from that, and their uniforms, even the 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 jumpsuits are a little bit more tactical looking because they're mostly black as opposed right. to. You know, with less color, and then you have even less color, really, in the first contact uniforms. It's really just the undershirts and maybe a stripe on the sleeves. It looks pretty good fighting in AR-558, you know, on a <laughs> desolate rock world. Right. You know, the, the corridors weren't as well lit. I mean, Starfleet takes a more militaristic look. And I guess you can see the post-Dominion War recolorization of starfleet in lower decks to a degree until you have that whole synth thing blow up in your face and starfleet gets very laser focused and almost xenophobic at times in the first season which card makes no sense because it was the the synth did it it wasn't but you're right. They did go xenophobic and more more uh, isolationist. Yep. Until Jean-Luc Picard got his groove back and said, knock that off. And they said, OK, we're back. <laughs> All that, right. Well, that's, let's... What, that's the first season of Picard should be how, how Jean-Luc got his groove back. Oh, my God. I was going to say, let's end it on we're back. But... <laughs> You had to go and say how Jean-Luc Picard got his groove back. Well, what was wow. your favorite sci-fi military? Oh, The SG-1? Yeah, I like the scrappiness of the SG-1 uh, model because they are, they are, how shall I put this? They're desperately trying to get technology ultimately to protect Earth and to make themselves a you know much a more formidable uh, foe, right? But they also have to think a lot on the fly, which right. provides a whole lot new innovation in a very Star Trek esque manner, right? Which I really I enjoy. I enjoy that 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 um. It's an. It begins with an N. The the not novelization. The the not notarization. When you invent something on the fly, the innovation. Innovation didn't begin with an N at all. <laughs> yeah, I like well, that innovative that, track. Well, and that and innovation was a big thing with Star Trek, right? We talked about it right. with the engineers, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and I was that's why I was this close to saying Star Trek. And then you brought up Stargate. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. And it, it, it was in a, it, it shows it in a real world scenario, too, which is why I did like 
space above and beyond military because it well they were the military and mm-hmm. yeah did they take a lot of creative license and such yeah okay completely get it they did no doubt they took a lot of creative license at times but still <clears throat> at times they really did keep a more naturalistic military field to a military unit they were the marine corps not like this fanciful pseudo military like starfleet and of course in both firefly and um in star wars you get to see scrappy rebel forces you know right yeah some people call me the space cowboy oh my god some may be the gangster of love all right <laughs> but I mean, but I'm gonna call I've you Maurice. I've, I've got a, big, I've got a big place in my heart for Starfleet, even though it's a real, <laughs> I got a real, lot of problems with its, uh, with its uh, discipline and tactics. Make it better, <clears throat> DT. Make it better. Put Makos back. <laughs> Bring back the Makos. All you need to do is watch whatever it was the first episode that they use them in, where they like rappelled down the mine shafts and the expanse <laughs> yeah and then they have the phaser rifle that has the retractable scope yeah Come oh on, god man. that was hot that, <clears throat> that was is hot. what you kind of expect to see from a futuristic you know military special they, almost special they were special forces pretty much that's what those guys really kind of were they gave them like they probably didn't give them just a bunch of joes who were fucking kicking around you know <laughs> an army base they Couple jarheads put together a, a basically a special ops team for yep. Enterprise, and that was pretty cool. Uh, interesting side note. I don't know if I had brought this up before, but let's but end on the side note. When Enterprise was talking about bringing the Makos on, uh, Archer's talking about talking talking to the Mako commander General Casey about bringing on Makos. At the time Enterprise came out, the I want to say at the time these things were happening, I believe the chief of staff of the army was General George Casey. So I think they just picked oh, the Oh, nice little thing there. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, you bring back, you know, you keep those Dominion era or the Dominion war era, the, you know, the, the starships that can put up a fight and slap them with some Makos, then I... Uh, them will be right up there next to the clone army for me as uh, some of the best militaries in sci-fi. Speaking of military and sci-fi, we did talk about how I love the Stargate situation, uh, yeah. the the Stargate military. Uh, you mentioned General was it General Casey? Uh huh. In season four. Uh oh no. Shit! It wasn't. It was. Uh, Crap! Never mind. They had um. They had um. They had a real uh, a real air force uh, general uh, appear in one of the earlier seasons, season three or season four of SG one. Um, cool. But it doesn't mean anything because I can't name him. I thought it was season seven, uh, inauguration day, but no, no, it wasn't. So. <laughs> Anyway, of course, let's just end on a, a on a blank from from McKay, shall we? No, that's awful. Why would we end <laughs> on a blank from you? That's terrible. I don't know, man. There's been a lot of really, mil- you know, 
sci-fi, science, you know, uh, space warfare, science fiction stuff. We didn't. We're not even talking about all the things that have popped up in like, you know, the comic book superhero world. Oh Christ, no! Which would take forever to get into and fantasy yes. armies and stuff like that. So, for us sticking with the sci-fi, yeah, were there some we left out? Sure. The uh, the the Argosy fleet from the uh, what Commonwealth in in uh, Andromeda. The, the Sequest and their Honorable Navy, mentions, real fast. You know, the Alliance from, <laughs> you, you know, your Alliance and your uh, brown coats from Firefly. It's, they're everywhere. Why? Because no matter what people like to say, war is interesting to watch on TV. <laughs> wow, that's that's simultaneously true and depressing at the same time. To quote, simultaneously. To quote a great, hilarious line from... Hot Shots Part New. War. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, that's a good note to go out on. <laughs> All right, everyone. I hope we hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, contact us at those sci-fi guys on Twitter. Reach us at those sci-fi guys uh, at gmail.com. Check out our website. At those sci-fi guys dot com. Yes. www.thosefiguys.com. <laughs> uh in the meantime, you guys keep dreaming. We'll keep working. So long, folks. And from this cab man to all the others out there, I'll see you on the high ground in drinks at Diddler's Creek. Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by Alpha Site Productions, produced by DT Cavman and P.S. McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow P.S. McKay on Twitter at P.S. McKay, or go to thosesci guys.com for past episode information.